It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What's going on? You call her Dr. Jill. Okay, we're going to get into that. <laughs> this is, that's, uh, I, I don't know, can I do an impression of Shorty? From Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Hey, lady, you call him Dr. Jones. See, I, I, I'm, I don't want to be like shut down, deplatformed for doing an accurate impression of Shorty. Anyway, uh, yeah, Dr. Jill Biden. Doctor, not a doctor. Yeah, that's the debate that, <laughs> that we were treated to. I mean, let's, all right, let's be clear. It is a political and media debate. It's a fight between media outlets uh, that's sort of masquerading as an important topic. So uh, <laughs> that's bizarre. We'll, we'll touch on that. But also, uh, it, it really dovetails into this idea of moral grandstanding that we're going to get to. So um, first off, I've got to thank the patrons of the program that make the show possible. Patrons like Daniel, Jocelyn, Gary, Trent, Marlon, Nick, Lori, Catherine, Monica, and Les. Thank you very much for the support. I could not do the program without you guys. Um, and by the way, you can become a patron as well. Just go to the show.com and you click on the link that's up at the top there, and uh, you get uh, directed to the Patreon page, which is where you get to pick, you know, what level of support you feel comfortable with. And when you do that, then you get access to the exclusive content. You get the bumper stickers. And uh, we actually just sent out all of the end of year. Uh, I guess they're gifts. It's a gift. It's a, it's a, it's a small token of appreciation. Okay, because when you start mailing in bulk, <laughs> like I'm doing, uh, it's although I gotta say the postage wasn't wasn't too bad on this stuff. So um, there's that going. Man, our postage has been killing us this season. I mean, boxes going to Atlanta, to New York for the nieces and the nephews. It's like every single one of these things is like forty, fifty, sixty dollars in postage. It's just nuts. Like. I like it, like, I buy generally for the boys, and Christy buys for the girls. I know how sexist are we, but um, I'm at the point now where it's like, they're all asking for gift cards, and I am more than happy to oblige. Oh, if you're listening, I totally didn't get you gift cards. But maybe I did, but probably not. You'll have to just see. Anyway, um, Joe Biden's wife, Jill Biden, got a, a, a... a PhD? I don't even know. It's not even a PhD. It's an EDD, I think is what it's called. It's, it's, but it's not an MD. And this is, <laughs> I never knew that this was a point of contention until this weekend. I didn't realize how much this angers people on either side of this divide. Did you know there was such a divide? I was not aware. I am aware, by the way, though, that you can get 10% off the Husqvarna auto mowers at General Equipment Rental, and you can also get 10% off your first rental at General Equipment Rental. They've got uh, they've got heavy equipment, like stuff, I mean, big stuff, like earth-moving types of equipment. And then they have, you know, large power tools and the like. Uh, they also have smaller power tools as well. So if you need uh, a tool for a project around your house, General Equipment Rental is where you need to go. Tell them you heard it here on the show. I appreciate that. And uh, if you're a contractor, this is a great idea. 
because you don't want to have to go out and buy, you know, some really expensive tool and then have to uh, worry about storing it and carrying it all around when you just need it for one job, you know, just one job and the job's going to be over uh, or that component of the uh, of the total job is going to be done in like a day or two. You just rent the tool, use it and then give it back and you're done and then you make your money. Cha-ching! General Equipment Rental. Go to generalrents.com, check out the inventory they've got there, and check out the Husqvarna Auto Mower. This is, I call it a Roomba for the yard. I guess it would be a Yardba. And it just kind of rides all around, and it cuts your grass, and so you never have to worry about it again. And if somebody tries to steal it, it shuts itself down uh, once it gets outside the perimeter of your yard, and then it uh, has a GPS locator in it. And so you'll be able to track down the thief, too. And chances are it's going to be the person that your gut tells you it is. Probably some, you know, some neighborhood kids down the street, you know, something like that. Um, <laughs> but like, it's, so there is anti-theft uh, uh, mechanisms in place for this thing. And it's really cool. And did I mention you'll never have to mow the yard again? Generalrents.com, General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. Think outside your toolbox. All righty. So Saturday, there was an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. It was written by a fellow by the name of Joseph Epstein, and uh, it was titled, Is There a Doctor in the White House? Not if you need an MD. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like of all the topics to choose to write about, I don't know why he chose this one, but He's a longtime contributor, and he criticized the habit of people with PhDs or other doctorates calling themselves doctor. He, he called it like his, his like highfalutin. And then he cited Jill Biden as Exhibit A. OK, this then triggered a flood of media and Twitter criticism, according to uh, a piece by the uh, Wall Street Journal's editorial page editor, Paul Gijot, Gijot, Gigot, Gigot. I don't know how to pronounce this name. It's G-I-G-O-T. We'll just call him Paul. So Paul is the uh, editorial page editor, has been for like two decades, and he wrote a response to the outrage response to the original op-ed. Uh, I'm not going to go into the original op-ed. I'm not going to get into this argument of, you know, should they be called it? Should they not be called it? Uh, like, generally speaking, just not for nothing, people who put you know, PhD on their social media profiles. I, I kind of look at you like I look at people who put their preferred pronouns in their profiles. I do. I'm sorry. I, I, I can't help it. I just, it seems, it seems kind of pretentious. It, it does. It just seems kind of pretentious. Like, I need to make sure you recognize that I'm a doctor. Well, a doctor of what? You know, of like, 16th century dance theory like like what what is your doctorate in i think that's important particularly if i'm engaging you in a particular line of debate anyway um Mrs. Oh, sorry, let me back up. This has triggered a flood of media and twitter criticism including demands that paul he says uh that i retract the piece apologize personally to mrs biden ban mr epstein for all time and resign to think about my sins. The complaints began as a trickle, but became a torrent after the Biden media team elevated Mr. Epstein's work in what was clearly a political strategy. Well, of course it was. Right? Like, why are you going after an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal that says, you should call yourself First Lady, not Dr. Jill Biden, not Dr. Biden. Like, that, like that warrants a response from the Biden team? I'm going to reacquaint you with the term right now, and it's called 
the stray voltage theory. Okay, this was a a theory or a, uh, it's a strategy that the Obama team talked about. I think Major Garrett was the reporter back when he was at um, maybe at Fox News, um, and he he or maybe it was CBS. Is he at CBS now? I digress. Uh, but it, I remember this strategy because once you're aware of it, you see it employed regularly, which is. Uh, The stray voltage theory is that at any given time in the political atmosphere, there's always a certain amount of electrical charge, right? There are are stories, there are rumors, there are things happening, people saying stuff and doing stuff. So there's constant energy in the the atmosphere, okay? So just like in the wintertime when you're walking through the hallway and, you know, you're rubbing your socks on the carpet and then you touch a doorknob and, ow, you know, you get this shock. So you can either wait around until that, shock happens to you, or you can go and touch something on purpose to direct the energy and to catch the stray voltage and direct it someplace else. Okay. That's the idea. That's the concept of the strategy or behind the strategy. And so what you do is you allow for or create a certain type of, uh, story, um, a scandal, quote unquote scandal, like, oh my gosh, a tan suit. Obama's wearing a tan suit, the scandal, right? And you you take a little story like that and you put it out there as if, oh, I can't believe that so-and-so said such a thing. Or, uh, you know, uh, Obama's reacting to this criticism of his tan suit. And you look at yourself like, wait, what, what criticism? Was there criticism about the tan suit? I don't remember seeing any criticism. But then, of course, by then it's too late because everybody's talking about how Obama's reacting to the tan suit scandal. And there wasn't one. But bzz- distracts everybody. It forces everybody to look into this one direction and to cover this one story. And it takes a lot of that energy out of the atmosphere. And what is what is what does that mean? Like in practical terms, it means that now media that was looking into other stories, they were chasing down leads, they had heard other rumors, that sort of thing. Now they are distracted and they got to go cover what everybody else is covering, which is the tan suit scandal. Okay, this is stray voltage. That's what this story strikes me as, as stray voltage, that the Biden team and let's face it, Biden is Obama's third term. So we're not done with Obama. Apparently, we're we're I don't will we ever be done with Obama? Because Biden's administration is just, you know, Obama and Clinton retreads. That's all these people are. They're the same folks that were surrounding Obama and Hillary Clinton uh, and that power apparatus. And so now they're just going to be whoop, right into place for Team Biden. So uh, I have little doubt that they will employ the same strategies here. And so this op-ed is written on like a weekend, like a Saturday. And now you've got this swirl after the Biden communications team tweets it out in faux outrage. I can't believe they would say such a thing. Mrs. Biden's press spokesperson, Michael LaRosa, issued a tweet saying, um, James Taranto, you and the Wall Street Journal should be embarrassed to print the disgusting and sexist attack on Dr. Biden running on the Wall Street Journal opinion page. By the way, that's her Twitter handle is at Dr. Biden. Like, really? What did I just get through saying? Okay, Uh, so uh, yeah, LaRosa says, if you had any respect for women at all, you would remove this repugnant display of chauvinism from your paper and apologize to her. James Taranto, by the way, is the Wall Street Journal's uh, op-ed editor. 
Um, but Gejo or Gigget or Paul, he's responsible for the opinion pages. Elizabeth Alexander, the soon to be, by the way, I, I don't know how this is a sexist attack because, well, there are certain rules in journalism. You're aware of these by now. Some of them, like where the AP says, here's our style book. Like we're going to capitalize black and Hispanic and Latino and brown and basically everybody but white. White people used to have a lowercase w because you've been in power and you're oppressors. Okay. Like the AP puts out style guidebooks that newsrooms follow. And uh, this is one of those things, by the way, that like the media has rules on this. And you know what the rule is? You don't use doctor. The Wall Street Journal, you'll notice as I'm reading this piece, they keep referring to Jill Biden as Mrs. Biden because that's what she is, Mrs. Biden. They do not put the doctor in front of people's names when they are not medical doctors. Why? Because it creates confusion. This has been a longstanding, um, a longstanding uh, rule or uh, convention that media has engaged in. I've got an example. There's one really recent and and kind of famous example I'll get to. Um, but first, Elizabeth Alexander, the soon-to-be First Lady's uh, communications director, said, sexist and shameful. Be better, Wall Street Journal. Ms. Alexander called me after her tweet to register her disapproval personally, which is fine. Her job is to flack for her boss, and part of my job is to listen to complaints. And we had a frank exchange of views as the diplomats might say, and I invited her to send in a letter for publication. Meanwhile, Team Biden continued to push the sexist theme. Doug Emhoff, 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 I guess I'm going to have to learn how to pronounce this name, Emhoff, husband of Kamala Harris, tweeted, quote, Dr. Biden earned her degrees through hard work and pure grit. She's an inspiration to me, to her students, and to Americans across the country. This story would never have been written about a man. Actually, <laughs> uh, the example I have is about a man. I'll get to it in a minute. Pete Buttigieg's husband, Chastin, 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 Buttigieg. Well, here's a name for you. Um, the author could have used fewer words to just say, you know, in my day, we didn't have to respect women. Isn't it amazing how, like, everybody feels the need to white knight for Jill Biden here on an on a critique that is equally applicable. And by the way, the original piece was equally applicable to men and women. He didn't say, you know, Dr. Jill Biden shouldn't be called Dr. Jill Biden because she's a woman. No, he said nobody with the with, with these PhDs and EDDs or whatever, none of them should be called doctors. The only people who should be called doctors are doctors, medical doctors. Because, you know, that's the convention. And so when you go into the White House, you know, you should adopt the, the, the title of first lady, not doctor, because you're not a doctor. And it's kind of funny. Uh, people get very upset when real doc, well, I should say, oh, oh my goodness, I did not mean <laughs> they're going to start sending me stuff. When medical doctors say people with PhDs aren't doctors, I've seen that. And the reaction is like almost unhinged. So um, Paul says, 
Paul Gigget says, uh, why go to such lengths to highlight a single op-ed on a relatively minor issue? My guess is that the Biden team concluded it was a chance to use a uh, to use the big gun of identity politics to send a message to critics as it prepares to take power. There's nothing like playing the race or gender card to stifle criticism. It's the left's version of Donald Trump's enemy of the people tweets. And he's exactly right. He's exactly right. And by the way, my mattress is exactly right for me and Christy. We have a memory foam. It is a king size memory foam. And it was the exact right mattress for us. Find your right mattress. Go to Mattress Man, four locations in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. Uh, you can go to their website as well, mattressmanstores.com, and they ship nationwide. If you're local, they have five star white glove local delivery service. And they have a 120-day comfort guarantee. I want to thank listeners of the show who have gone to Mattress Man, uh, Joseph and Manuel. I got um, messages from uh, both of them that said they went to Mattress Man, and they're very happy with their purchase. You will be, too. I am. Christy is. We love Mattress Man, the mattresses that they have, and we love the business ethic, by the way. Chuck, the owner of Mattress Man makes a point to hire veterans. He seeks them out. He gives away mattresses to local charities, local shelters that need beds. This is what he does. He's he's a member of the community. He tries to support people and businesses and causes that he believes in that he thinks make the community better. So I ask you to support him and his business. Go to mattressmanstores.com, find the local store nearest you, and experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. So uh, the difference between Trump's enemy of the people tweets about the media and the way the Biden team went after this op-ed guy, because like, think about that, right? What, what are they what are they saying? They're saying the Wall Street Journal needs to deplatform an op-ed writer because he said, hey, if you have a non-medical doctorate, you shouldn't go by the name doctor. And because of that, they're like, that guy needs to get fired. Like, how is that any different than what Trump was saying about media, too. The difference is when Trump rants against the press, the press mobilizes in opposition. In this case, the Biden team was able to mobilize almost all of the press to join in denouncing Epstein and the journal. Nearly every publication wrote about the Biden response, reinforcing the Biden New York Times line, quote, an opinion writer argued Jill Biden should drop the doctor few were swayed. This strategy worked to protect Joe and Hunter Biden during the campaign, so it's really no surprise that they're keeping it up as they head to the White House. Northwestern University, where Mr. Epstein taught for many years, did its part by denouncing him in a statement and appearing to purge his emeritus listing from its website. This is how the cancel culture works. This is, again, uh, the Wall Street Journal opinion, sorry, the editorial page editor, Paul A. Gijot, Gijot, Gijot. It's like, usually by now I've arrived at a pronunciation of a name, even if it's the wrong one. But this one, I just, I just can't get a handle on. Paul G. Paul G. says the outrage is overwrought because whether you agree or disagree, Mr. Epstein's piece was fair comment. The issue of Jill Biden's educational honorific is not new, by the way. As long ago as 2009, the L.A. Times devoted a story to the subject <laughs> in 09. OK, this was a piece written by Robin Abkarian, quote, 
Joe Biden on the campaign trail explained that his wife's desire for the highest degree was in response to what she perceived as her second class status on their mail. Now, he says this is a quote from him about what she said. So he's quoting her. Now, I don't know. Maybe he's lying on the campaign trail. And that's just old Joe being Joe. But this is what he says she told him or her story about why she went for this higher degree. Quote, she said, I was so sick of the mail coming to Senator and Mrs. Biden. I wanted mail addressed to Dr. and Senator Biden. That's the real reason she got her doctorate, he said. All right. Maybe that's not true. Maybe it's just a cute joke that he tells. I give him the benefit of the doubt on that, because honestly, like that's that's kind of sad. Like you would pursue a doctorate just because you have title envy of your husband who's a senator and has been and was when you married him. He's been a senator for a very long time. That's why you went and got a degree. Okay. Uh Wall Street Journal guy Paul G. says, if you disagree with Epstein, fair enough. Write a letter, shout your objections on Twitter, but the pages aren't going to stop publishing provocative essays merely because they offend the new administration or the political censors in the media and academia. And since it's a time to heal and all, we'll give the Biden crowd a mulligan for their attacks on us. (laughs) And then the New York Times columnist Mark Tracy Uh, expressed the opinion that a lot of folks in the other media outlets in the mainstream uh, were adopting, that the editorial page editor accused strategists for President-elect Joe Biden Jr. of instigating a coordinated response. By the way, this title, this President-elect Joseph R. Biden, like, first off, just to to be clear, there is no office of the President-elect. There's no office of that, okay? So people who are when you see people on social media and they're talking about the the office of the pre- there's no such office okay and again with the honorific what i'm now seeing is media running around trying to get every republican on record as saying joe biden won the election and referring to biden as president elect joe biden and so like they're very they're they're like combing through tweets and they're looking at press releases and they're asking them like there was one reporter who sent out a uh, a standard emailed question to every Republican lawmaker in uh, or at the congressional level in North Carolina. It was like, I'll let you know what they tell me. You know, will you refer to him as president elect? Like the things that media focus on to me sometimes is very instructive of how stupid so many of them are. These are the things. This this is the story you're working on. It's unbelievable. You're devoting resources to that. You know what? Because you know what they're going to call Joe Biden after the inauguration. They're going to call him president. Really? So, like, what are you doing? What are you wasting your time here for? Well, that's exactly what they're doing is they're trying to waste time and they're trying to fill a news hole. They're trying to make slot and trying to dunk on those stupid, evil Republicans. The Wall Street Journal's editorial page uh, conservatism which predates Rupert Murdoch's buying the journal's parent company, Dow Jones and Company, for $5 billion in 2007, has occasionally produced friction with the journal's newsroom, which, like most newspapers, is not officially political. Love this. I pulled this one sentence out because it really is illustrative of how how, uh, the legacy media outlets and the people who work in these places of how shielded and inside the bubble they really are. Okay, so first off, uh, they're talking about how the Wall Street Journal's 
editorial pages, their opinion writers are conservative. But the newsroom, as he calls it, is not officially political. <laughs> it's not officially political. Or, I'm sorry, are are the Wall Street or the New York Times or the Washington Post or are are those newsrooms officially political? Is that oh no, no, you got no, you're apolitical too. Like all the newsrooms are apolitical, right? They're all officially not political. Okay? And that's why sometimes the conservative board has uh there's been friction, as he calls it, uh, with the newspaper's newsroom. Does that ever happen in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the L.A. Times, Newsday, Charlotte Observer, Raleigh News and Observer? Like, just out of curiosity, do you ever hear about the boards that write these editorials, that that produces friction with the newsroom staff? No, of course not. You know why? Because it doesn't. (laughs) Because it never does. It doesn't create friction. Because they're writing leftist screeds. That's what they do, right? They're lefties. And so they're writing leftist uh, op-eds and and editorials. And so, of course, there's never any friction because the people in the newsroom agree with them. But then they're like, oh, well, that's just the editorial board. We're separate and apart from them. But when it comes to the Wall Street Journal, no, no, we have to point out (laughs) that, uh, uh, that there is friction between the editorial board and the lefties in the newsroom. By the way, not mentioned in this entire write-up is the New York Times's own policy of not identifying doctors unless they're medical doctors. Because that is the rule, by the way. That's the rule. Let me get to... Uh, well, all right. Yeah, let me get to this. NBC rushes to defend Jill Biden. NBC's Today Show. Uh, this is the co-host of the Today Show, Hoda Kotb. I've never, I don't know how to pronounce her name. I don't watch the show either, guys. I'm sorry. Um, They did over three minutes of airtime denouncing the sexist article on Monday morning. And she said, there's an outpouring of support for the future first lady, Dr. Jill Biden. So now this has become the moral grandstanding, right? This has become the dog whistle. I'm going to refer to her as Dr. Jill Biden, Dr. Jill Biden, Dr. Biden. You got to keep saying it, you see, to let everybody know that you're not a sexist. That's what that means. In the report that followed, correspondent Ann Thompson gushed, you know, growing up, Jill Biden famously punched a bully in the nose to defend her sister. And this morning, she finds herself at the center of another fight that she didn't pick, this time with an op-ed columnist who questioned her use of an academic title. She said two defining characteristics of soon-to-be First Lady Jill Biden. (gasps) You didn't say Dr. Jill. You didn't say Dr. Jill Biden or that she's a fierce Philly girl, and that she thrives on teaching at community colleges. Okay, so that's the kind of coverage we're going to get. The New York Times does not use doctor. The Washington Post, most famously and most recently in 2017, wrote an entire piece because, you know, democracy dies in darkness. Headline, Sebastian Gorka likes to be called Dr. Gorka. He gets his way only in conservative media. Bill Walsh, the Washington Post's late great copy chief, told the Los Angeles Times in 2009 for that same story that I just mentioned, right? The L.A. Times was doing a story at the time about the doctor status of somebody on the other side of the aisle from Seb Gorka. That was Jill Biden. Okay, and 
This is what Bill Walsh said, quote, my feeling is if you can't heal the sick, we don't call you a doctor. Okay, the L.A. Times was doing this story on Jill Biden. They said Joe Biden on the campaign trail explained that his wife's desire for the highest degree was in response to what she perceived as her second class status on their mail. And then he tells the story. They have him quoted here about, uh, you know, she wanted to see doctor and senator. Ha ha ha. Amy Sullivan, a a religion writer for Time magazine, said she smiled when she heard the vice president's wife announced as Dr. Jill Biden during the national prayer service the day after President Obama's inauguration. Oh, Dr. Jill. Journalist Mark Oppenheimer, who has a Ph.D. in religious studies from Yale, wrote a significant takedown of the doctor usage, and he has one. But he wrote a takedown in the... uh, Uh, New Republic, which is not a right-wing publication, folks. In 2014, following the death of Maya Angelou, who had been awarded several honorary doctorates and preferred to be called Dr. Angelou. And he said, quote, we use titles just to honor our supposed betters, Queen Elizabeth, Sir Paul McCartney. As an American and a Democrat, I think this usage is stupid, un-American, and best left overseas. But because it's Jill Biden and because it's not Trump and it's not Seb Gorka, then sexism outrage. Yeah. Now, you will not be outraged when you go to Old Grouch's military surplus. I mean, unless, of course, great prices on great gear is going to lead you to be outraged, then by all means, do not go to Old Grouch's because that's what he's got. Real U.S. military surplus. Oh, and cold weather is here, folks. Did you pick up any of the the military-grade thermal underwear? Did you get any of the wool socks, the sweaters, the military field jackets, the fleece and wool toboggans and Gore-Tex jackets? Old Grouches has everything you need for the wintertime, whether you're working outside, whether you're a hunter, um, you're going to need this heavy-duty, warm-weather gear, uh, and you're going to get it a lot cheaper than you'll find it in most outdoor stores. So go to Old Grouches Military Surplus. They're in downtown Clyde on Main Street, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun, uh, and asked him about the story behind the anti-aircraft gun. It's a great story. And the shop is open Monday through Saturday and 24-7 at oldgrouch.com. Also, thank you. I got a message yesterday from Rhonda, who said she uh, went and visited Old Grouch. So thanks for letting me know that. That's Old Grouch's military surplus. All right, so moral grandstanding, what is it? Kind of, It is what it sounds like. I got a piece here. Uh, at Persuasion, published last week by Justin Tosi and Brandon Warmke. Uh, They are authors of Grandstanding, The Use and Abuse of Moral Talk. Okay, Tosi is an assistant professor of philosophy at Texas Tech University, and Warmke is assistant professor of philosophy at Bowling Green State University. Moral debate, they say, is a vital tool in society. He says we use it to identify people who harm others, and we use it to praise those who are worthy of trust, right? We use it to spur positive social change. However, some people, especially on social media, use moral talk for another purpose. What do they use it for? Social status. And this is called moral grandstanding. 
Okay, and it's pushing us apart in dangerous ways, they say. Now, this is this applies to both left and right. According to recent studies, grandstanding is relatively common and is equally distributed across the partisan divide. The basic drive for status is compounded by other aspects of human psychology. We generally think that we are morally better than the average person. We want others to think highly of us morally, and how we think of ourselves is affected by how we think we compare to other people, okay? I literally just had an argument with a guy on Twitter about this very thing. He was positioning himself as morally superior because he wasn't a Trump supporter, which he accused me of being. Based only on tweets, by the way, because he follows me on Twitter, so he assumes that whatever that that what I post on Twitter is the entire universe of my thought, right, about Donald Trump. All my thoughts about Trump are only expressed on Twitter and only in his recollection. That's where the that's the truth. That's his truth, I guess you could call it. I literally just had an argument with the guy about this. Moral grandstanding. According to recent studies, Grandstanding is relatively common and equally distributed across the partisan divide. However, it can be difficult to know whether somebody is grandstanding because grandstanders could be sincere and and they could be making accurate moral claims, even if they're also trying to get attention. And this is why simply accusing somebody of grandstanding is not a valid way to dismiss what they're saying. But here's how you identify it. Okay, there are two defining elements of moral grandstanding. Here they are. Number one a moral claim. That's obvious. Okay. So you got to say something or you got to write something. Okay. A grandstander might say something to those of us who care about justice. It's obvious the police need to be abolished. Right. So let's say you make a moral claim. That's number one. Number two, there has to be a desire to impress others. For example, I can't believe all these sheep wearing masks in public or not wearing masks in public. Like, You can see this both ways right now. I think these authors tend to be left of center because all of their examples seem to be channeling people on the right. But we all know these examples. We've heard these examples from people on the left as well. Okay, so uh, so you have number one, a moral claim and number two, a desire to impress others. Sometimes people grandstand by piling on as when they register agreement with a large group. So then they could be seen as being on, quote, the right side of history. Sound familiar? Or they do their bit to shame an alleged wrongdoer. Other grandstanders turn conversations into an arms race in which people ramp up their moral claims. Grandstanders, in an effort to display their sensitivity, also trump up spurious moral charges. Like, um, hey, everybody, you know, just FYI, uh, I saw the last six contestants on the Wheel of Fortune and, uh, you know, they were all of a certain race. Like their example is they were all black. And so that's an obvious example of white genocide. I think that's an interesting example. I don't know who would ever see the I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I'm so immune to like this. I don't know why. But people trump up these charges in order to gain attention. So you could say, oh, all these contestants, I noticed that they're all white. That's a symbol of the patriarchy, the white supremacy and whatever. Like, you get the idea. Next up, some grandstanding takes the form of excessive displays of emotion. I'm thinking of the person who was on their knees screaming at the sky when Trump was inaugurated. Uh, Also, grandstanders are dismissive. They treat their opponents as too corrupt to see what is obvious to the morally enlightened. I have encountered these folks on both the left and the right as well. Well, 
obviously, Pete, I mean, if you're just too corrupt, you're you're part of the problem if you can't see this obvious thing that I'm telling you, right? But why shouldn't we want other people to know how good we are? Setting aside the fact that we probably aren't as good as we think, grandstanding diminishes our ability to have productive moral conversations. Morality should be about helping other people, but grandstanders use it to enhance their own status. We had a personal experience with this a couple of months ago when a friend of ours made some uh, comments on a Facebook post, and this, th- these were people that have known each other their whole lives, and a Facebook comment was made, uh, let's just say, for an example, just, you know, picking one randomly, just, you know, for illustrative uh, purposes here is to say, uh, all life matters. And, you know, how dare you say such a thing that all lives matter? And then, like, you need to defend yourself from my accusation that you are a white supremacist because you said that. How dare you say that you're a racist, you're a white supremacist? And um, that what was lost in that exchange was an opportunity for growth, for understanding, for education, for enlightenment, right? That was missed. That was lost because of the moral grandstander that participated in it. Okay, Um, then you've got studies that show grandstanding accounts for some of the uh, polarization in our society because people are increasingly endorsing more and more extreme political views and they have more negative reactions to those on the other side of the arguments. That's why I always say unchallenged ideas are easy to hold. And what happens when you surround yourself in an echo chamber and you start grandstanding and others around you are grandstanding, what happens? You become more and more extreme because now you've got to you've got to be morally superior to even the people in your own group, you know? And it pushes people towards the the perimeters of the spectrum, of the ideological spectrum. And everybody has to be more pure than the other one in their group. Nobody sets out to be an extremist and to become one, right? But grandstanding puts people on a natural course to that destination. Because to distinguish yourself, you have to be more remarkable than others who are also trying to be remarkable. Now, moral talk can still make the world a better place, they say, but inflating everything into a moral tirade is a surefire way to make the world worse. Making the world better is Growers Hemp, by the way. With their CBD oil, their full-spectrum hemp extract, Growers Hemp, uh, they made this CBD product. I take a couple of drops every night before I go to bed, and I sleep more deeply than I ever have before. I was always a light sleeper, and since I started taking the CBD oil, uh, a couple of drops, like I said, before I go to bed every night, and this is about six months now, and I, I get I get such good sleep that I'm running on like five hours of sleep a night. It might also be that I'm a workaholic now that I started my own business. Could be, I don't know. (laughs) No, I do know that it is the CBD drops because I I started taking the drops and I could tell the difference. So uh, what are you looking for? Better quality of life, deeper sleep for you, lower tension, balanced state of mind, positive mental outlook, immune system resilience. Go to growershemp.com and look at the selection that they've got there. And if you use the promo code Pete, you'll get 20% off. Growers Hemp is started by North Carolina farmers, and they started it up and they thought, you know what, we can uh, we can do this and we can provide for our families, we can save our family farms, and we can help people on their wellness journey. So it's a win-win for everybody, okay? So it's made by farmers from seed to shelf. They control the whole process, okay? these The, the farmers are down east of Charlotte, and um, 
they control the whole process, which means higher quality and lower price. Growershemp.com. Okay. As with all CBD products, here is the official disclaimer. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and nothing I have said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. Growershemp.com. Again, use the promo code PETE and get 20% off. Growershemp.com from North Carolina farmers to your home. Growers Hemp is about the hemp and not the hype. So Matthew Crawford writing at a website called unheard.com in a piece called How Race Politics Liberated the Elites. Now I will tell you, I'm going to give you some of the highlights here. I will tell you, this is kind of um it's kind of wordy. <laughs> uh, I have to admit I had to look up some of the words as I was going through. But uh, I think I've I, I think I've gotten the gist of it enough, and I've pulled the highlights, so you will too. So, uh, but this does tie in together because when, when the the concepts identified here, I think are going to make you go, huh, just like it did for me. So, the idea of common good has given way to a partition of citizens along the lines of a moral hierarchy. Okay, the idea of common good has given way to a partition of citizens along the lines of a moral hierarchy, one that just happens to mirror their material fortunes. Okay? So that line, the line of demarcation, this splitting, this division, right? It's it's supposedly along a moral line, right? There's a moral hierarchy. They care more about these people than you do, right? That sort of a thing. But it's interesting that it just so happens to also reflect material fortunes. <clears throat> so that's the premise here. Instead of feeling bound up in a shared fate with one's countrymen, one develops an alternate solidarity that is placeless. The decision-making class has discovered that it enjoys the mandate of heaven, and with this come certain permissions, certain exemptions from democratic scruple. The permission structure, is what he calls it, is built around grievance politics. Very simply, if the nation is fundamentally racist, sexist, and homophobic, then I don't owe it anything. More than that, conscience demands that I repudiate it, right? Hannah Arendt spelled out this logic of high-minded withdrawal from the claims of community in essays that she wrote in response to the protest movements of the 1960s. Conscience trembles for the individual self and its integrity appealing over the head of the community to a higher morality. The latter is discerned in a highly subjective, personal way. The heroic pose struck by Thoreau in Civil Disobedience becomes the model for this kind of moralistic anti-politics of conscience in which the good man may be quite opposite to the one called a good citizen. In The Revolt of the Elites, Author Christopher Lash spelled out in greater detail the role that claims of racial and sexual oppression play in securing release from allegiance to the nation. That's the point here. Did you? I never really kind of connected these two, um, these two strains of thought. Claims of racial and sexual oppression allows you to be released from any kind of allegiance to the nation. That's the point not just for those who identify as its victims, but for those with the moral sensitivity to see victimization 
where it may not be apparent, and to make this capacity a touchstone of their identity. They just care so much more than you do. That's their part of the moral hierarchy. It becomes a token of moral elevation by which we recognize one another and distinguish ourselves from the broader group of citizens. Both Lash and Arendt both argue that black Americans serve a crucial function for the white bourgeoisie, right? the white middle class, as the emblem and proof of America's illegitimacy They anchor a politics of repudiation in which the idea of a common good has little purchase. What does that mean? That these two authors, they've identified black Americans as serving a key role for white middle class and upper middle class, right? The elites, because they are the emblem. They are the proof. They are evidence that America is illegitimate. And so that allows the elites to repudiate all of America and the entire idea of a common good. They benefit. They benefit from this kind of uh, view of our society. The social order is corrupt. So for ex- he goes on to talk about the labor movement um, that once had an alternative order to offer, drawing on the socialist tradition. It was one that included African-Americans as workers, right? Everyone was a worker. And this movement was pretty successful. He says the pressures that organized labor brought to bear on business and the state helped to secure America's brief period of shared prosperity lasting roughly from the end of World War II to the 1970s. So he's crediting uh, the labor unions with that. Uh, So this person is of the left. What happened then? The new prominence of the term repressed in the 1960s is significant, and it marks a shift into a new terrain of psychologized politics. The object of attack for the new left was no longer laissez-faire capitalism, but it was society, the Freudian superego, more or less, with its insistence on standards of behavior that are binding on everybody, right? This is the thing that holds us all together. What if I, this is why this piece struck me, is that what have I been talking about? for years, right? What is the thing that unites us all as Americans? What are our common ideas about what this is all about, this grand experiment? Because if we can't agree on what this is all about, then we're done, right? Then the experiment is over. Because, you know, blood and soil, like these types of nationalist ideas that bind countries and their countrymen together, we don't have that. We have an idea, right? We are not all of the same religion. We're not all of the same race and ethnicity, right? We have all these different beliefs. We have all these different politics and ideas. We come from different areas with very different climates and environments and everything else. So all these different ways of life and people who live them, what is it that unites us all as Americans? It was an idea. And if we don't, if we don't share a common understanding of that idea, or even worse, if we believe that the entire premise of this experiment is inherently flawed and must be rejected and destroyed, then we're definitely done. Which is kind of funny to me that I see a lot of people on the left like, oh, you right-wingers talking about secession and everything. Okay, well, first off, you guys were talking about it after 2016. You were talking about it also in the run-up to this election if Trump won. Um, But also, you know, you keep wanting to tear down the institutions of America and remake it in some other image And if you're intent on doing that, I'm not sure what you think everybody else is going to do when you start 
doing those things. Like when you start remaking the country into a different country, the people who liked the country, they're not going to want to hang around for much longer. So who's really trying to split America apart? Okay. Now, if you're looking to split from your home and you need to get it sold, then you need to call Rowena Patton. And here is her phone number. It's 333-4483. 333-4483. She's the official and only Homes for Heroes real estate agent in Asheville. This is a national program that gives buyers and sellers 25% back from realtor commissions. This goes to police officers, firefighters, healthcare professionals, and educators, as well as members of the military, veterans, active duty, and retirees. She has given back about $800,000 so far to local folks in those professions. She outsells 99% of the realtors in the state, and she has homes in all price points and buyers lined up. So buying or selling, call the only agent that I called. Rowena Patton, 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and then start packing. So if society is taken to be inherently oppressive and discredited in the name of liberation, one can find an idea in a very selective reading of Freud, for whom there is an inherent conflict between the self and society. But for Freud, Reconciling oneself to this conflict and entering into the world of shared meaning and exchange, really identifying with it, that's how you become an adult, okay? The world does not love you simply for being you, as your mommy does. One holds oneself accountable to prevailing norms, or else you remain trapped in infantile narcissism. Does that sound familiar? Anybody in your life? Anybody you've seen? (laughs) The left's posture of liberationism provided an interpretive frame in which the deadly riots and wider explosion of urban crime in the 60s was to be understood as political rather than criminal. This interpretation played a key role in the wider inversion that it is society, you see, that's revealed to be criminal. These people are just reacting to the criminal nature of the entire society. Right, you've heard this argument. The utility of urban rioting for the new left lay in the fact that it was thought to carry an insight into the illegitimacy of even our most minimum standards of behavior. The moral authority of the black person as victim gave the bourgeoisie permission to withdraw its allegiance from the social order, just as black people were gaining fuller admittance to it. This is a very interesting and I thought perspective or a perceptive idea. That just as black people were now becoming more and more a part of society in the 60s, that's exactly when a lot of people on the left were like, well, the whole society can't be saved. It's all just corrupt. I'm out. Interesting. So just at the time (laughs) when when all these people are coming into society, that's when you decide to check out. Is there anything about the people that are coming in that, okay, for the new left, It was not capitalism, but the democratic social order altogether that was the source of oppression, not just of black people or of workers, but of us, the college, middle class and upper middle class. The civil rights movement of black Americans became the template for subsequent claims by women, gays and transgender persons, each based on a further discovery of moral failing buried deep in the heart of America. Hence, a further license, indeed a mandate, granted to individual conscience as against the claims of the nation, right? This has been one of the, we've all seen this been happening over the last, you know, decade or so since I've been aware of it, 
that the template for the civil rights movement, right, has been lifted up and is now used for other groups. And they're very open about using it, right? Civil disobedience and, uh, you know, calling people names if you're not willing to go along with their particular ideas, you become branded as a sexist or a transphobe or a homophobe, right? There are all these different Islamophobe, right? The white middle class, upper middle class, the white folks became invested in a political drama in which their own moral understand or moral standing rather depends on black people remaining permanently aggrieved. Unless their special status as victim is maintained, African-Americans cannot serve as patrons for the wider project of liberation. If you question this victimization, well, you're questioning the rottenness of America. And if you do that, you are threatening the social order, strangely enough. For it's now an order governed by the freelance moralists of the cosmopolitan consensus. Somehow, these free agents, ostensibly guided by individual conscience have coalesced into something resembling a tribe, one that's greatly angered by rejection of its moral expertise. The notion of expertise is important here. There appears to be a circle of mutual support between political correctness, technocratic administration, and the bloated educational machinery. Because smartness confers title to rule in a a technocratic regime, right? Why do you think there's so uh, so many references to the science well, this is a smart take. It's science. Oh, I'm sorry. Facts, data, science. Right? This is all part of it. The ruling class adopts a distinctly cognitivist view. Virtue does not consist of anything you do or don't do. It consists of having the correct opinions. This is attractive, as one may then exempt oneself from the high-minded policies one inflicts upon everybody else. Uh, hello, COVID restrictions, Right? As long as you're in the ruling class, it's all okay for you. Maintaining one's own purity of opinion, on the other hand, has a real psychic consequence, as it is the basis for one's feeling of belonging, not to the community one happens to reside in, but to the tribe of the elect. Populism happened because it became widely noticed that we have transitioned from a liberal society to something that more closely resembles a corrupt theocracy. All of this is linked up at the Patreon page. Thanks so much for hanging out. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You can subscribe. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. Talk with you later, and don't break anything while I'm gone. 